Good morning. My name is Dave Horner. I'm the pastor of Peace Community Church, which is a sister congregation of Hope Church, located in the Bear Creek area, and I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Peace Community. Uh, Pastor Greg and I, as well as uh, a couple of dozen, maybe 30 other folks, were in Colorado and Denver this past week uh, for Classes meetings. Classes is the name of the regional body of churches that we're part of, Classes Rocky Mountain. And we heard some examinations for those who want to be pastors and ministers. We did some business, decided some financial things, prayed together, laughed together, maybe cried together a little bit. So it was a good time to be together as the people of God representing the churches of this region. Uh, Let's turn this morning to Luke chapter 5. I believe that's found on page... Let's see. Where does it say? 1,019 in the Sanctuary Bibles. If you don't have your own Bible along this morning... Let's hear God's word together. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. Then when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is God's word to us. Most of us are familiar with what is called the Great Commission, those final words of Jesus to his disciples saying, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. We know that disciple-making is a huge responsibility, may even be the primary responsibility of the church on earth. And so today we're going to look at the subject of how disciples are made. And we're going to see that disciples are caught by Jesus, and disciples are captivated by Jesus, and disciples catch others for Jesus. Disciples are caught by Jesus, first of all, through the word of God. We see here that Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he got into the boat, and it says that he was teaching And the people were listening to the word of God. That's, first of all, most important. The the word of God is is kind of a a technical phrase here in Luke's gospel and in part two of Luke's gospel we call the book of Acts. We see that um, John the Baptist 
came into the wilderness and began preaching there in response to the word of God. And then when Jesus tells the parable of the sower, when the sower throws the seed on the land, it is translated or interpreted as the word of God. That phrase appears here. And then in the book of Acts, um, we read that 11 times the phrase word of God appears by Dr. Luke. He uses that phrase. And always in context of something powerful happening, something changing, God at work, God bringing transformation, God bringing renewal. And you remember that, that, that section later here in Luke's Gospel where a woman says to Jesus, blessed are the, is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And he said, no, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. So here we, we see here that disciples are made by the power of the word of God. That's, that's the context. Jesus is speaking, not just, ooh, <laughs> that goes backwards a little bit there, uh, speaking uh, just any old word. He's preaching the word of God, speaking the word of God. We also see the disciples are caught by Jesus through the witness of others. Uh, if we look in John's gospel in the first chapter, it's Andrew that first meets Jesus, and it's it's. He goes to his brother Peter, and he says, I have found, we have found the Messiah. And so it's through the witness and testimony of others that people are made into disciples. Think about it. Andrew doesn't get a lot of press in the Bible. His name is hardly mentioned. And yet, humanly speaking, without Andrew, there would be no apostle Peter. Because Andrew went home and said, we have found the Messiah, then Peter becomes interested and starts to check out Jesus and learns about Jesus. And Jesus works in his life and draws him. And he becomes very prominent. He becomes the leading of the disciples. He becomes the first among the three, uh, the three out of the twelve. So it's through the witness of others. I would just like to encourage you, when you're sharing the good news of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with a colleague or a family member or a friend, you don't know whether that person might become the next Apostle Paul, the next the next Apostle Peter, the next, um, you know, uh, Mother Teresa. You don't know. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind that it's through the witness of others. And finally, um, although we're a little bit maybe uncomfortable with this in our denominational context, but it's the truth of the word of God, disciples are caught by Jesus through, the, through signs and wonders. Earlier in Luke's gospel, when Jesus stayed at Peter's house, Remember, Peter's mother-in-law was probably a widow, and she was staying at Peter's house. Otherwise, she would have been staying at her own son's house. But she's staying at Peter's house, and Jesus raises her from a bed of sickness for fever. She stands up, she gets up, and she begins to serve. Surely, this must have made quite an impression on Peter, right? And how often do we have it in the church where someone starts to come to church and Perhaps their motives are um, not entirely spiritual. Perhaps they're temporal. They're out of work. They have a family member that's sick, and they think, I, must, I need to get right with God. I need to start seeking God. I need to start getting my life together. And they'll come to church, and I'm sure you've seen this in your church. We've certainly seen it at Peace Community. They come, and the church begins to pray for them, and God effects some kind of healing in their life, relationally or physically or job-wise. They finally get a job after years of struggle finding a job. The church begins to pray. And through that sign, through that wonder, people begin to be touched. There begins to be an openness to the truth of the gospel through the signs and wonders. We saw this. My wife and I were missionaries in Papua New Guinea um, uh, years ago, and we often saw this sort of thing. People would have dreams because they could not actually read the Bible yet. They would have dreams about going to heaven, or they would have dreams about Jesus. 
And in fact, I never saw this myself, but in the tribal area where we worked, they had they testified that they had seen God raise this one person from the dead. Now, I am not going to second-guess that. Far be it from me, because the scriptures certainly tell us that God has the power and the ability to do so. And, of course, this really riveted people's attention. They had never seen this before. And it made them, again, more open, more receptive to the word of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this, as I say, we see this perhaps in smaller ways, perhaps in equally dramatic ways here in our own land, in our own state, our own city, where God uses signs and wonders to draw people into the kingdom, to make them disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples are caught by Jesus, but they're also captivated by Jesus. Um, They're captivated by Jesus as they begin to take those first preliminary steps of obeying him. Here we see this in Peter's example. Remember, Peter is a professional fisherman. Now let me uh, just unpackage that for you a little bit. To be a professional fisherman in those days, it wasn't like your side job. It wasn't like you went fishing for fun on the weekends. It was what you did six days of the week. And if you didn't catch fish, guess what? Your little ones went hungry. You know, they didn't have bank accounts and uh, trust funds and uh, investments in the stock market. If you didn't fish well that week, people in your household might not have anything to eat. And so that would mean, practically speaking, Peter would know absolutely everything there was about fishing. If you had to rely on fishing in order to feed your family, you would become an expert. You would know where the fish were. You would know what time of day was the best time to fish. You would know um, what time was not a good time to fish. You would know what kind of equipment to use. You would get really expert at fishing. And if Peter had had dynamite, he probably would have been dynamite fishing. I mean, it's not legal now, but if you've got to feed your family, you would do what you have to do. So when Jesus says to him, take the boat out of deep water and cast your nets again, You've got to wonder what was going through Peter's mind. Here's a carpenter telling professional expert fishermen how to catch. And furthermore, he's telling them to use their nighttime trammel nets, which are made out of linen, which is, you know, as you know, kind of white off white. It's visible during the day. It would not be visible at night, so the fish would swim into the net. It's daytime now, and Jesus is saying, use the the linen trammel nets throw them over, and the fish will swim into them. You will have a great catch. Again, surely they must have been thinking, you are out of your mind. No fish would ever go into a net that was so visible. White linen, you can see it, you just avoid it. But Jesus knows best. Jesus always knows best. And that's part of what it means to become a disciple, is to say, Jesus knows best. Jesus might tell me to do things that are counterintuitive, to always tell the truth, for example, rather than shading things to make myself look better, to get a better job, or all the things that we, the ways that we game the system. Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. He's saying to you Christian young people, don't just go out with anybody. Date only within the faith. Wait for the one that God is going to give you. Don't uh, just... Try to take things into your own hands and, and try to save someone by, by, by dating them. Don't do that. Disciples are captivated by Jesus as they obey him 
follow him and begin to see how he provides in wonderful ways. He knows best. And that involves our minds, our bodies, where he says to go. We sang that song, where you, where you go, I will go. Where you, when you say to stay, I will stay. I will follow you. This is the way that we begin to be captivated by Jesus. He leads us, he guides us, and when we follow him, he opens up doors, he provides in ways we could never have anticipated. Disciples are also captivated by Jesus as they realize who he is. And Peter has already seen Jesus do miracles. He's already seen him, heard him preach the word of God, teach the word of God. He has a pretty good sense of who Jesus is, but not yet. When Jesus does this miracle, and Peter says, go away from me, falls at Jesus' knees, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Now, if you caught a large catch of fish, would you say to your fishing buddy, I am a sinful man? That's probably not how you would respond. What he is seeing here is he's having a sense that this is not an ordinary man. This is the Son of God come from heaven's glory unto the earth. This is God in the flesh. This is a miracle that no human could pull off. And he is responding by realizing that he is a sinner. We begin to realize who he is. Um, This is a different response than people had made earlier in Luke's gospel when Jesus goes to Nazareth, the people try to kill him, right? They don't like who he is, who he claims to be. And then um, when Jesus is uh, here in, uh, in Capernaum, they realize who he is. He does this miracle. He's healing people, casting out demons, and they want to keep him for themselves. So we're making progress from trying to kill him to wanting to keep him for himself. Now we've moved to Peter is being made into a disciple, and his response is, Lord, go away from me. Not, I want to keep you for myself. Not, I want to kill you, but I am not worthy to have you in my presence. I am not worthy to be your follower, to have you in my boat, so to speak. Do you ever have that sense? Jesus, you are, I, I just don't deserve all this love and grace and mercy. The things I've done in my life, the things I've said, the things I've thought, the things I've felt, you don't want to be around me. And yet, that's not who Jesus is. He loves sinners. He loves those who know that they are sinners. He acknowledges them and he he welcomes them. He invites them. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Peter, I'm going to get in your boat. Dave, I'm going to let you be in the ministry. Like, who'd have thunk? Who to thunk him? And then disciples are captivated by Jesus as they understand what he has done. Now we give it, we give just a little hint here at the end of this passage, just a little hint of the gospel itself. They pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and it followed him. And followed him. Jesus left everything. He left his father's throne above so free and infinite his love, emptied himself of all but love, came and bled for Adam's helpless race. That's why Jesus is able to make disciples. He is so worthy of our love because he has loved us so deeply. 
He sees our flaws. He sees our failures. He sees our shortcomings. And he loves us anyway. And he gave his life for us to make us his children. He gave up everything he had for us. He gave up the glories of heaven, the worship of the angels, the eternal bliss of being in the bosom of the Father in order to walk this world, in this world, and to go let himself swim into the nets, as it were, of human injustice so that the justice of God might be done and the atonement for sin might be made on that cross so that we might be forgiven, we might have eternal life, and we might have joy and strength and peace in the most dark places of our lives, even now. Disciples are captivated by Jesus. You know, when we first begin talking with someone about Jesus, it's kind of abstract. We say, you know, we kind of give the details of the gospel. We're sinners. Jesus came for us. He died on the cross. Um, at some point, though, in order to really make a disciple or, or see or become a disciple ourselves, we have to be kind of we have to kind of fall in love with Jesus. He has to become for us more important than our family, more important than our money, more important than our careers, and yes, even more important than our health. And that's what happens in this story. They leave everything to follow him. They they decide he is worth it all. They leave their family business. They go and they follow. That's what happens with disciples. They understand what he has done, and they begin to actually take concrete steps to follow him. In their case, it literally meant stepping out of the boat, onto the land, walking away. For you, the concrete steps that you may need to take may be things like stop resisting your need to get marriage counseling, or um, stop working on Sunday. Stop um, saying cruel and unkind things to your, your children, whatever it may be. There are things that we need to leave behind and take steps to follow Jesus. They follow him. And again, in that process, uh, they are captivated, captivated by Jesus. I think we need, as the church, we need to do more of this, more of declaring how lovely Jesus is, how altogether lovely, the chief among 10,000, the, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. We need to let people know that we're in love with Jesus. That's something attractive about Jesus. Little children love Jesus. You know, they were drawn to him. And that's still true today. Something attractive and beautiful and wonderful about such a saint. So let us, in our process of making disciples, be sure to include not just sort of dry theological facts, but let us convey to people that Jesus is altogether lovely. So, kind of looked at, in a sense, at what is done by Jesus and God in the disciple-making process. Let's look a little bit at the process of what happens when you become a disciple. You become, as Jesus said, a fisher of people, a fisher of men. Disciples not only are caught by Jesus, are captivated by Jesus, but disciples are those who catch others for Jesus. I'll just give you uh, <laughs> four, four adverbs, four ways in which disciples catch others for Jesus. First of all, we are to do this confidently. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't be nervous when you're sharing the gospel with someone, but it means that you won't let your nervous, nervousness dominate your life. 
you will overcome it by the grace of the Holy Spirit in you. You will, despite all your feelings of inadequacy or unpreparedness to speak that word of grace, you will do it anyway. You will do it confidently. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. And I think that was not just about being afraid of of your sin. It was also, don't be afraid of becoming fishers of people. I mean, this is our task. If Jesus said to the church, go and make disciples, you can just count on it that he wants you to do that. It's not like it's, oh, you know, maybe for some of the super spiritual or elite. It's for everybody. I do a little bit of mentoring in some public schools over in my part of town. And when I consciously and confidently ask the Lord, give me an opportunity to share some facet of your character or your grace or your gospel with my mentees, it's amazing. He often opens the doors. But when I'm afraid or nervous, what if I'm breaking the rules, school rules a little bit or whatever, then I lose that confidence, then, yeah, the doors don't seem to open. So confidently, don't be afraid. And then the process of making disciples is not a one-shot deal. It's not like you just share something and that's it. There is hard work involved. So it requires us to do this continuously. From now on, said Jesus, you will fish for people. That's like not this week, next week. It's a long-term process. So think big. Think long-term in your local work here, but also think globally. Think about all the nations of the world. And I know you, you guys support missionaries, and that's wonderful. Continue to do so. Do so with enthusiasm. Send your missionary a personal note to encourage them. This is a continuous, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Do this continuously. And finally, or not finally, but also we do this corporately. Again, I already told you the story of Peter and Andrew. Now we have James and John getting involved. They see the, the sign and wonder of the nets being filled to breaking with, with fish, and they begin to follow Jesus. So this is not something we do individually. That's, that's why the church is so important. You know, if you realize what the church is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a little colony of heaven on earth. And so relationships in the church need to be straightened out. Repentance needs to happen. Apologies and reconciliation needs to happen so that the church can become like a magnet drawing people into the kingdom of God, drawing them to become the disciples of Jesus. This is corporate business. It's not just about you and Jesus witnessing. That's important, but it's also important to involve and engage with the church as a community in order to corporately catch others for Jesus. Nothing I'm saying to you today is probably particularly new. I'm just giving you a little reminder here. And then finally, disciples catch others for Jesus consciously. Um, Other than a few odd YouTube videos about fish jumping into people's boats, you've seen those, right? Guys kind of go along and the fish jumps in his boat. 99.999% of the time, in order to fish, you have to do it on purpose, right? It doesn't just happen accidentally. You have to put bait on the hook. You have, to, you have to get the nets in the water. You have to cast the flies so it hits the trout's nose. Oh, that's just so fun. Uh, missing British Columbia right now. Um, it's a conscious decision to get up in the morning and go fishing. You have to decide to do it. And the same is with making disciples. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish. It's a verb. It's something you will do. 
consciously, intentionally, again, making disciples is not, doesn't hap, happen accidentally. For us, as I said, it involves a word, declaring God's word, a word that captivates people, a witness, we have to speak, we have to testify to how God has worked in our lives, and we have to be not afraid, um, and I, I speak to myself particularly in this, not afraid to say to someone you meet, um, I will pray for your, your ailing cousin, and then stand back and wait for God to do something that you never could have done, and to demonstrate his love and his grace and mercy in that person's life. So you can come back and say, how's that cousin of yours? Oh, we'll give glory to God. My God is a God that heals. My God is a God that saves. My God is, is, uh, has taken on human flesh and lives at the right hand of the Father, and he is uh, there interceding for me, and I can come in his name and ask the Father to do these things, and you could too. Word, witness, and wonders. These three things catch people for Jesus. They captivate people for Jesus. And they equip us to consciously, intentionally, confidently, continuously, corporately make disciples of all nations. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, wondrous task that you've given us of making disciples. And we look at ourselves and we say, depart from me. Depart from us, Lord. We are sinful people. And yet you come again to us and you say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I can work with you. And I will work with you. Despite your shortcomings and failures. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the awesome privilege of being disciple makers. Help us to live into that task and role in this very week. Looking expectantly to you to open doors. To captivate people's hearts. To draw people into your kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.